So, um, as we're mm. sat here, you've just done, uh, got the ball rolling at least on the Mindfulness for Men project, oh, Mindful yeah. Men project. Yeah. Um, perhaps, like, I could ask you to say a few words on oh, like, yeah. what, like what the initial idea for that was. Like, what the problem was you um, yes. saw that needed to be solved there and how it's gone. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, okay, my, Mindful Men. Um, just generally over the years, uh, you know, just teaching and courses and workshops and things like that, um, they just, you know, there appeared to be uh, women who were more interested in, in mindfulness, um, especially in the groups and workshops. Um, it was kind of balanced with, with private sessions, you know, and I think men f- feel a bit more comfortable often one-to-one, mm-hmm. you know. But generally there was a, you know, a kind of, it was kind of disproportionate. There was a lot more women generally interested in anything to do with mindfulness, um, which is fine. Um, but it's, it's really ironic because, you know, traditionally you know, yeah. where it comes from. Totally patriarchal. Completely, uh, you know, the Zen masters, all the martial arts, the samurai, mm. actually very male-dominated areas that, that, that often men are quite interested in martial arts and it kind of sounds macho and mm-hmm. quite cool uh, but you know uh, in, in the kind of modern western context of mindfulness it's it doesn't carry that same uh, inspiration behind it you know for men so I just thought I would uh, launch this this website it's just a website at the moment but I, I would like to do more with it uh, just to promote uh, mindfulness as a, as a well as a mental health tool but but specifically aimed at men you know encouraging men to take up the practice um i know lots of men you know you're one of them that, that do mindfulness or meditation or related practices um, and how transformational they are completely you know and a lot of the men i know that have a practice of some sort um have been through some very testing times mm-hmm. you know very tough times and i think if you meditate at all and that's your, um, you know, your, your, your kind of surrender to it. That's, that's to be expected, is that you will sit through some tough times in your life. Um, you know, as long as we're alive, there's going to be tough times. So uh, we expect that. Um, so I find it very inspirational, encouraging to share their stories as well. So part of the, the website is to um, uh, interview people. Uh, and get their story, mm-hmm. what works, what didn't work, what did they find difficult. Um, uh, yeah, just get their own angle on what's worked for them, why they started mindfulness, uh, what keeps them going, you know. Um, so that's that's kind of where I started. Uh, obviously being a man myself and um, a man that's been practicing mindfulness for 20 years, um, I can say I found it extremely useful. I mean, that was the reason... Um, I started, probably the reason you started was because perhaps things weren't going so well, you know, in my life things weren't going very well and I soon realised that I had none, I had, I, I lacked these basic skills, basic skills to be resilient and focused and calm, not feel hijacked by situations, circumstances, thoughts, emotions. So I was very unskilled at having a mind and emotions and being in life, you know. Uh, things are great when they're going your way, of course, but then, of course, it doesn't stay mm. your way for that long, and then we get upset. You know, we we we, we begin to uh, lose perspective and feel like the world is crumbling down because, you know, I don't know what to do anymore. So, um, so that's why I started mindfulness was because I realised I I was completely uh, at a loss, um, and I was anxious, depressed. Um, completely overwhelmed by what was going on in my life and then just through this practice very simple simple practice you know it's not um it's not complicated it's about breath and focus two things that every human being has uh, and that can be developed beyond their their current state um yeah so i started doing this practice and you know within maybe a month six weeks it was a short amount of time i literally felt like my life had flipped upside down, you mm-hmm. know, the, 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 the heaviness fell away. The, the main thing for me was perspective opened up again. You know, suddenly I kind of was able to stand outside of my situations and my thoughts and realize, well, that's just one part of what's going on, you know, and, and it seemed to me that that was everything. 
I was lost in that. Uh, those thoughts and those perspectives when, you know, the, the, I could zoom out almost, you know, I could, I could step back from all of that and um, I kind of see it more for what it was, which was a, you know, a situation that wouldn't last because no situation lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, my thoughts about that situation wouldn't last. My emotions in the body that felt permanent and strong also wouldn't last. And just by doing the practice, uh, the thoughts began to soften and calm down. My focus improved. The emotions in my body softened. And, of course, um, the situation I was in was changing all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just beginning to notice that. It wasn't something that was really stuck. I wasn't stuck with these thoughts and emotions. I mean, it felt like it at the time. Yeah. But as soon as you start exploring these things with attention and focus, you start realising... Would it be also true to say that um, with the situation changing, and situations change of their own accord, but if the way you look at them, the way you look at the situation changes, that's going to have an effect on on yeah. the situation itself? That's it. So one thing is, is looking at a situation differently, and then the other thing is realising that, well, the whole situation is changing anyway. Mm. You know, Regardless of what I think about it, whether or not I like it, it's going to change. And not actually not that it's going to change, it's changing as I'm experiencing it. So in the first um, three months of your practice or so then, there was this real positive shift. It, it was like a, a full-on, um, like a high, yeah. like a. How did that carry on for the um, years to come then? Was it, is it, was it a kind of linear straight line of life just gets better and better or was it a more <laughs> up and down and all over the place, there's deeper things open up deeper at a personal level or I suppose deeper on a philosophical and metaphysical level as that aspect of mindfulness opens up yeah well that's a good question um so well yes is the answer um not always in the way that I wanted things to develop you know one of the things about the practice is yes you have all these benefits but as you go deeper and I think going deeper often develops with a commitment to go deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're happy for your 10 minutes a day just feeling relatively calm and content, then that's absolutely fine. You're doing more than most people who are struggling with their lives. But for me, there was a deeper motivation. Before I even started formal <clears throat> practice, you know, sitting every day, <clears throat> I was reading all the Zen books and I was my bedroom was covered in quotes from Zen Buddhism. I mean, probably I didn't understand what any of them meant. <laughs> but that was just my uh, inclination was this Buddhism. And of course, you know, as you know, uh, my dad was a Buddhist monk and a Buddhist teacher. So just from, from birth, I was inclined towards Buddhism and, and that worldview. You know, our house, what, does your house have a name? Um, it does, but I've had to walk out to the front door. Because I just just was. looking outside that I can see other houses have names. I think it's Journey's End in Manx or Latin or Greek or something. Probably Manx. Well, Let's that's, hope it's Manx. That's profound in itself. Um, <laughs> but so our house was Inicha, which I never knew what that meant as a kid, of course. Uh, and you know, it's but is uh, Pali for impermanence. You know, nothing stays the same. Um, so, so that was the, the context of growing up and seeing my dad meditate and, you know, he ran the, the local Buddhist group. So being in a group, being part of a, a group where people would sit um, just down the road, actually, in the um, uh, Wyborn Drive, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and have visiting Burmese monks uh, and, and realizing later on that they were actually quite high, uh, they were quite high status monks. They weren't just kind of. Uh, Buddhist monks, they in you know they were Burmese monks. They were friends with um, the, the the Burmese um, prime minister and high you know they were high status people. Um, as as kind of monks are in Burma, they're mm-hmm. kind of high yeah. status. So uh, you know absorbing all of that stuff, uh, being a kid and having a particular interest in the idea of no self. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not really knowing what that meant, but also kind of having a sense of what that meant uh, that in some way what we take to be ourselves or what even what we take to be a solid world somehow isn't it's more of an appearance than a than a solid uh, reality so there was a sense of that and um, I had no idea how you would realize that you know or get to it 
Um, and the reason, you know, the reason I actually started practicing wasn't to realize that because I was reading all about it and the words and the poetry seemed to be interesting enough. That was fine. But the reason I started practicing was because uh, personally on a, you know, on a sort of personal level, just life suddenly wasn't fun anymore. You know, um, I needed to do something that would literally change my mindset and my and the way I perceived situations. Um, so, so I started doing the practice, and then after a while, the whole thing starts tying together. Yeah. You realise, you know, um, maybe you can just get it one day walking down the street without having done any kind of practice of, or you know any kind of inner inner work. But, uh, you know, in, in the kind of world traditions, this, this is a package. This whole thing goes together, you know, study, if you like, along with the, the internal phenomenological experience of yourself in different ways, dropping the mind, uh, quieting the thoughts to perceive yourself in a new way. And sometimes when we do the groups and just little workshops, even like yesterday, I was in a bank and at the end, a few people said, well, at the end now, there was nothing going on in my mind there was a blank that's that's great that's great just to even have a little taste of that because we're so used to that not being the case that our mind is just an incessant whirling beast that never shuts up so even just to have a little sample that yes it does that but it also does that and then you can lead to deeper questions like well uh, if if there's no thinking if there's no activity then I, is it still true to say that you are your thoughts? Because you're still there. You're still there. There's just no content. There's no thinking. So you can go deeper, you know, because we do think, this is me. This is my mind. I am it. Um, when, of course, we're not really. Um, so, yeah, so I started doing the practice. And, um, yeah, things were developing, you know, traveling a lot as well, meeting mm -hmm. different teachers and having different experiences and studying as well at university. Um, but I must say, after a while, several years, um, kind of two things started happening with hindsight. One was that I was having little moments of um, deeper experience, what, what I call no self, which basically are moments where I realised that um, I wasn't talking or I wasn't moving, or I wasn't, um, I wasn't doing what I was doing. There was no one doing it. Mm -hmm. And that was, rather than being liberating and, you know, jackpot, uh, it was completely terrifying. Yeah. And my reaction to it would stifle the experience, you know, it would cut it off. Or there'd be moments where I would be with friends or something and realise they're not talking, they're not doing this. Um... So, so that was something that things were opening up, but I was so afraid of them yeah. that it was also well, shutting them down. It sounds um, like it's running very close to what you could say uh, materialistic atheism would say here, that there's no kind of self and you're a biological robot, okay, which isn't necessarily a comfortable thought, the idea of there not being a me somewhere who actually exists. Right? Yeah. There's just this observation of yeah. events taking place it's it's not inherently obvious that would be a good thing you know? yeah well i mean i had at least i had the context of zen sure which yeah. which said it was a very good thing yeah uh, but my experience was this is absolutely terrifying um there was a time in india with my friend and uh in the room in our hotel room just you know and just really feeling like i'd really like he'd, he'd maybe have to send me home because I was getting really upset, you know, and saying, this isn't me, I'm not doing this, uh, and, and getting really um, anxious about that, um, rather than going, yeah, this is great, there's no self, mm. no problem. I suppose it'd be a lot worse without that context, though. Yeah. Because I meet people who have, um, quote-unquote, spiritual experiences, um, but don't have a context for it, and then it's the, you know, it could be interpreted as a, a mental health difficulty, right? Like I, I was speaking to a, a woman the other week who said she had this, re like, this sense sometimes that time didn't exist and there was just this continuous now, right? But she didn't know if it was an extension of other mental health issues she was having. Mm. And it's, it's, yeah, so okay, this is like 
common sentiment in Zen, and I sent her some quotes, and it's, oh, right, that's oh, great. It's an interesting philosophical observation that time might not exist, actually. Yeah. Um, but, of course, if you don't have that context, it's just something weird going on with your mind. And, of course, the Zen stuff I was reading, or you know, maybe I missed some bits, but it wasn't telling me that this was going to be a completely um, freaky experience that I would retract from. You know, I was in, I was expecting something lovely that I would really just open into, mm, yeah. you know, with a bit, um, beautiful smile and a, a total release, the smile of the Buddha, this kind of thing. And it was it was sheer terror. <laughs> I mean, well, what what is this then? Is this what they're talking about or not? Because all I know is when this t- comes in, this opens up. I clamp down on it because I am terrified. So that was one thing. Almost like there was an evolution happening, but but my own. I basically wasn't ready for it, hmm. and what was coming up was fear, and that would, you know, um, restrict that experience. And the other thing I noticed was a kind of plateauing. Uh, it took me quite a while to kind of notice that, that there was a kind of plateauing. Um, I mean, I I didn't really have a teacher. I was visiting different teachers. Um, and my 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 interest started to shift a little bit. I was still sitting, you know, but my interest veered more towards well no self but advaita you know direct path more inquiring you know who is here because i was having these experiences that there was no one so it seemed to make sense to kind of have a look with with a with a conscious inquiry and so my practice kind of veered into um advaita especially Mm non-dualism neo-advaita um i don't even know if you'd call it that but tony parsons particularly i i I really, I like him. I, I've went to see him a lot of times. I've spoken to him a few times. His teaching has had a real impact. Sure. Um, and lots of other people. Um, but, the, but there was a sense of a plateau in terms of my practice. And what, what I came to see was that for me, the reason it had plateaued was because actually there was some deeper emotional stuff, baggage, unresolved things that my meditation didn't seem to be touching mm-hmm. so yes I was calm yes I was focused yes I could sit nice and still for a while I was going on Goenka retreats as well 10 day retreats but somehow there, was, there, were, there wasn't a kind of shift or transformation or an unloading of stuff that I kind of knew and felt was down there and I couldn't get to it. You mentioned at the start that in the first like three month period, your emotion, I can't recall exactly how you said it, but the emotion, it became easier through witnessing. So there's like, it helped. And in another way, there was a limit to how much mindfulness directly helped with emotion. Would that be accurate? That, that That's exactly it. So at first it's like, this is amazing. I can basically stand outside of the emotion. I can just let it be felt, and and I'm kind of, um, in a sense, dissing. In a sense, you're fully. Enga- this is the beautiful thing. In a sense, you're fully engaged with it because it's given full permission, but you're also kind of disengaged from it because you're also on the periphery of that. You know, so mm. it's a, it's a lovely place to be when you don't feel stuck in it. You can stand outside of it while still allowing it to open and bloom. But but yeah, I just I just began feeling. Um, I mean, I would I, I kind of just sit out of habit because that's what I do. I sit. That's my practice. I sit with myself. But just there was nothing there. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's a, a sign of progress that not everything's nice and still and kind of neutral and equ- uh, um, there's equanimity there. But it felt like no, there's 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 stuff that needs to kind of get born there's mm. stuff that needs to come out that 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 equanimity wasn't allowing um how much time has passed since the start of this mindfulness journey to this point where you're starting to feel stuck with that's about emotion. several years so that was just with the practice i mean the other directions would be i'm meeting teachers in india i'm having my own experiences but in terms of in terms of my mindfulness practice and accessing that deeper material that deeper material just didn't seem to be budging. Right, know? yeah. And I, and I wasn't aware how to get to it. Um, and so what happened was um, I was studying, I was writing, trying to write a, a master's um, 
thesis, not having a great time doing that, feeling like I'd, I love study, but I felt like I'd retreated back into my mind, almost back mm-hmm. where I was when I first started practicing, because mm-hmm. I was in there for hours every day uh, dealing with concepts. And uh, that began to feel very uncomfortable and numbing and... Um, I kind of began to feel like I was I was getting trapped in there again. Um, so, so what happened was I began to feel depressed again, numbed again, yeah, numb. Uh, like I like I'd lost any kind of direction I ever had. Um, yeah, like I just kind of lost. I don't know. I just lost my who I was, what I wanted to do, not not in a Zen way either, not in a, you know, mm, yeah. just in a kind of practicality. I don't even want to be doing this anymore. Um, but I have to do it. I've got to hand this, this thesis in. Um, I began having suicidal thoughts at work, you know, uh, just because I felt completely stuck in, in my head again, mm-hmm. you know, and that was after about eight, maybe nine years, ten years. Like I'd almost gone full circle. Right. Felt completely stuck and and really bad. Way you know, far worse than the, the first time. Mm. You know, literally. I, I mean, I didn't want to kill myself. I, I quite like myself. I like being alive and I like the people in my life. But the fact that my mind was producing those thoughts mm. was was worrying, you know. When, when you say it was worse... Do you feel that you were more in a position that was more able to cope with it being worse nine years in? And if you'd had it that bad prior to the mindfulness, that would have been too much. That That's true. That would have been too much. So just, you know, the fact that I've been practicing for nine years or so pays off to some degree. The training is there. Mm. Um, you know, maybe the training was that I didn't kill myself. I mean, we don't know. Um so there was just there was an awareness of that, but there was also awareness an awareness of just nothing was working. That's kind of it. Nothing worked. Not with my mindfulness. That didn't seem to work. Not with the you know the other stuff. The the teachings. Ramana Maharshi, Ramesh Balzakar, Tony Parsons. Everything. Everything I was reading. I was listening to podcasts. I was mm. you know whilst doing all this, uh, my my thesis and everything else. I was devouring you know, spiritual uh, teachings, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be free. Yet none of it seemed to work at all. I think that was what was depressing. Everything I was hearing, everything I thought I knew, everything I'd experienced, it just kind of all fell away. And I was just depressed and anxious and just felt totally at a loss. I just, I just felt completely, yeah, at a loss. So at that point, I thought, well, you know, in non-duality, you, you're, the idea is or you, the belief or the, you know, there's no one here. There's no one to do anything. Mm-hmm. There's no one to do anything. Uh, and I, I kind of believe that. And I did have a sense of that. But then I thought, well, no one doing anything's not getting me anywhere. It's getting me feeling completely... Uh, you know, suicidal, depressed. So I thought, okay, I'll do something. Mindfulness and the meditation and the spiritual inquiry seems to have come to a dead end. Uh, I need, I need help. I need counselling. I need therapy. I need something else that isn't spiritual. So uh, that's when I decided to, you know, go and see the counsellor. I mean, it's nothing big, but to me it was because it felt like I was taking a great step back mm. because I was supposed to be this non-dual guy that didn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't the doer. Yes, I'd had certain experiences. I'd visited gurus and taken all this stuff on board. Um, and now I was almost retreating into the lowliness, <laughs> the lowliness of counselling. Yeah, I think um, in some areas of non-dualism, there's a prejudice against something like counselling or psychotherapy that... It seems to be so simple that you should get it. You should just get that, oh yeah, now I'm, I'm just a non-doer. I don't need to do anything. And that's, I took that on. That's, that's kind of where I felt myself to be. 
Whereas my actual experience was telling me, hmm. you need some, you need some actual help if if you're going to go through this. So how was that the counselling? Well, um, yeah, it was actually, it was great. Actually, that's what it was. It was great. Uh, the first guy I, I saw, um, I remember going into his room uh, and just talking about my situation. And the thing is, I, I, I didn't go there to be, to have things dragged out of me, you know, uh, like, you know, like I, I didn't really want to be there. I didn't really want to talk about my experiences. I went there because I saw that this this is a way to get rid of all this stuff that I somehow can't get to. So I was just like a, you know, I just opened up completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really knowing what counselling was. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd never been before. Uh, was that the first time you had been so open about whatever was inside you with someone else? Yeah, I think so. And mm-hmm. it's great because it's a neutral person. It's a stranger. But what, what kind of uh, gave me encouragement was when I got into his room and looking around, there was a huge Tibetan mar- um, you know, mandala on the wall. There was lots of Tibetan Buddhist iconography mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. And I thought, okay... Maybe, maybe this, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. And he was very good. And I, I only talked a little bit. And he said, "Are you talking about enlightenment experiences?" And I thought, "This is the guy." <laughs> yes, I am talking yeah. about that. Wonderful synchronicity. Yeah, and I've heard of other people that go to counselling, and it just doesn't work. You know, there's not a, there's not a click with the person. Yeah, sure. Um, but this guy was great. Unfortunately, he was, um, after a few sessions, he said, well, I'm, I'm actually shifting to a different university now. So that relationship ended. And I switched to a, another uh, counsellor, a lady, um, who, again, again, just, um, I think it, it helped that it was a, a, a woman, um, someone that happened to be my mum's age. A lot of the stuff I was dealing with was from childhood, relating to my parents, um, again, which is kind of fairly basic stuff, but I realised that that stuff was still in me at that age. Yeah, it hadn't grown up, and I didn't know how you grow that up. Um, so this, so that's kind of why I was there, um, rather than asking her how do I realise no self, which I was trying to do by myself. I was there to be interested in how do I heal the parts of me that are still broken from childhood you know completely different question but that was far more important in, in, at that moment in my life mm-hmm. I, I had to drop the non-duality because that was just going to send me insane um, so I worked with her and um, yeah just, just talking 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 um, every session and feeling better it worked very quickly um, and I had some nice little kind of insights like there was one moment where I um, well well, what tend to, what started to happen was I started to feel things again that I didn't know I felt so anger came mm. up mm. after you know they say behind depression is anger behind any kind of numbness is there's a lot there that's why it's kind of numbed out because uh, we don't really know what would we don't really want that to come out yeah. that explosion so I realised there was an explosion in me that I'd never really acknowledged. Um, so uh, that began to explode. <laughs> so not that I got I got kind of angry and I was punching walls, but um, I just felt I just felt angry, and I felt angry for what happened, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago. Um, and I began writing. I began pouring this out into words, and you know, kind of objectifying these emotions and feelings and thoughts that I. I'd never ever um, expressed, so there was a, a release of expression, which mm-hmm. felt felt great. You know, it felt great to um, unload that stuff. Uh, as part of that, I had a nice little um, experience with with what I would call my, my shadow. You know, um, so suddenly, you know, it's amazing what you become aware of, and through counselling, I was becoming aware of stuff. In the same way that through mindfulness or meditation you become aware of mm-hmm. stuff that you've never been aware of. So I became aware that my whole life, especially as a little kid, it, it seemed to be that there was always someone looking over my left shoulder. 
it's quite quite bizarre, but um, so bizarre that I didn't consciously notice that. Yeah. And yet I kind of always knew it. And so I kind of realised, yes, there's there's this presence always over my left shoulder. And I remember as a little boy being so scared by it that I'd, I'd check. I'd always be kind of checking over my shoulder. It felt like someone was watching me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so, I had, so in, in bed one night I had this little moment where um, I kind of thought, who, who is that? Who are you? You know, I gave that presence a direct question, who are you? And the answer was, I hate you. I thought, okay, this is this is something here, um, and I, you know, I said, why do you hate me? And it or he said, uh, because you ignore me all the time, and this this presence was huge. It was like a kind of giant, like a shadowy giant, very mm-hmm. strong, very muscular, um, very masculine, and it said, because you ignore me all the time now. Anyone who knows me, I'm, I'm not very masculine. I'm, you know, I'm kind of passive. I'm quite quiet. I'm quite peaceful. I'm, I'm not macho. Um, so this was my shadow. This is the, the macho. This is the, the masculine that, that doesn't really get acknowledged much. Doesn't al- allow itself to be angry or have desire or, right, or express yeah. those things. Yeah. And especially through the mindfulness, which tends to calm everything down. So this part of me was severely repressed. <laughs> it wasn't getting a look in. Um, and I said to it in my mind, you know, I said, I don't hate you. I love you because you're me. You know, I don't hate you. I love you. You're me. And then in my mind, I kind of turned to it and, and embraced it. Mm-hmm. And as I embraced it in my mind, it kind of fell into me. The shadow kind of, you know, I kind of soaked it up. Um, and that was... a yeah, you know, that was a real integration of stuff that I have never really integrated. And now I feel far more balanced with the parts of me that I have tried to get rid of. One, because I'm not very masculine anyway. Two, because I um, do practice mindfulness and that tends to calm everything down anyway. Mm-hmm. And the other part is... Uh, what's the other part? Well, now, anyway, I feel far more able to have a kind of more equal expression with things, far more comfortable with Right. So did you notice um, either changes in your mind and outlook or behavioural changes post the integration of that shadow? Now, I would say, I mean, this is still some time ago now. This is several, this is almost 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now I can say yes. At the time, at the time, I wasn't so sure because something else hap- happened rather quickly after that mm-hmm. that kind of was bigger. So it, it's almost like I didn't have time to okay. to, to really t- taste that experience. Um, whereas now I would say, yeah, there's a far more integrated part of being a human. Um, there's far more allowance for it, you know, and far more comfortable with being a human and being a man. Yeah, you know, which is again, it's basic stuff. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable with being a man? Yet we're not. Um, yeah, it's so, interesting because it brings us full circle to the mindfulness men project. Yes, yeah. yeah, and and again with this non-duality, my spiritual search, none of that. It was almost it almost felt abstract. Where I got to felt very abstracted from just wanting to feel like a happy, healthy human being. You know, like a <clears throat> just myself, happy to be myself. So that happened, and then, <clears throat> um, so the counselling was going great. I just, I thought, this is far better than any spirituality, you know, I, I should have done this earlier. I think I was still, I was still meditating, you know, that was, that's yeah. still just part of what I do. But the, the counselling was very, um, it just seemed to, you know, evolve, evolve myself quite quickly. And then, um, <clears throat> uh, shortly after the, uh, shortly after that experience with the shadow, there was a a moment um, I had in in the library at, at university um, where I picked up a book by Rupert Spira, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, sure. dual teacher. Yeah, and uh, someone I liked, someone I I'd kind of I've seen a few interviews with him, and I, I what the way he, he uh, spoke about non duality seemed to really resonate with me. I love the way he talked about it. 
uh, and his book was on the shelf right in front of me. Again, synchronicity. Uh, it was in the wrong place as well. It shouldn't have been where it was, and yet it was at my eye level. And I thought, oh great, I, you know, I'm going to see my counsellor in 10 minutes. I'll just flick through this book. <clears throat> so I started reading it, and then I think I got a few pages in when I came across a sentence. Uh, from memory, it was something like... Something like... Yeah. Uh, so the words you're reading on this page are in fact no different from the page itself. It's one thing. There's not words and the page. There's uh, the page appearing as the words, or the words are the same as the page. Mm -hmm. There's a non-duality between the words and the page. And then it went on to say, uh, and right now, um, everything you're aware, everything you're seeing or perceiving is made from your own awareness. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'd heard that in many, many sure. ways and times and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but something about reading it in that way at that particular time uh, shifted something. So um, I had a, a kind of spiritual experience, if you like. So everything stopped. My mind came to a total standstill. And I suddenly was aware that everything I was looking at was myself, you know. Uh, there was no, there was a non-duality there. there. Everything was one, uh, oneness, if you like. There was just this kind of uh, seamless awareness that I was and, every, and everything was. Along with that came this intensity of of everything. Everything it was like the volume, of the uh, the intensity went up on everything. Everything right. seemed very vivid and alive, and um, and. And that was fantastic. And then fear hit me. Uh, the same fear that hit me in all these other previous little mm -hmm. <clears throat> experiences. And I thought, oh, well, you know, here we go back to square one now. Um, but this time, um, this time it, I felt it came, come up through my belly, kind of washing up into my chest. And uh, this time it just exploded across my chest and fizzled out. And it, it that was it. It didn't it didn't you know uh, continue. It, it just resolved, and I still didn't know what was happening. And I thought, okay, well that's it. That, that's it. And there was just the the clean knowledge that this is it. This is this is what I've been looking for my whole life. And you know, hilariously, it's always been here. I'm it. It's everything we're looking at. It's everything we're sensing, tasting, looking at. It's always here. It's the only thing that's constant. So I started to laugh because this was hilarious. The fact I could, the fact it was so obvious, and I spent my whole life ignoring it or mm -hmm. not being able to somehow see it. So I started to laugh, and then I thought, um, yeah, I've got to get out of here because I'm sitting in the library, and obviously people are studying, and I'm just, uh, you know, uh, I'm just laughing. So I thought, uh, I'll go outside. So I, I went outside, and there was a beautiful garden there. Um, very private garden in the summer height of the summer and I went and I sat there on a bench by myself for about well for about 45 minutes and unable to think that was one of the most clearest things about that experience yeah. was uh, there was no activity of my mind I remember the feeling of thoughts trying to arise and it was almost like something heavy on the bottom of the ocean trying to trying to pick up something from the bottom of the ocean it just couldn't happen there was it just couldn't bring itself to you know thoughts just couldn't um, happen so I, I just sat there um without a thought um just just i mean yeah just being at one with what was occurring but there was no one here, so you can't say I was being at one with it. There just was. It was mm -hmm. just a seamless, a seamless whole, and it was it was just stunningly beautiful. You know, it was just gorgeous and beautiful. And there were birds, and there was grass, and I just I was everything. Uh, my sense of self wasn't there. Um, one thought I do remember, just as I got into the garden, was saying to myself, or the thought was, the veil has dropped. Mm -hmm. That was the thought in my head. The veil has dropped, and after that, there was nothing. Um, but but to me, that 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 kind of that kind of accurately summed up 
for me, the experience, the idea that what we're looking for, what I was looking for, is out there somewhere in a certain spiritual experience or, or you know, in a Himalayan cave or something, was a kind of veil. It, it's, it's thinking. And when that fell away, um, the whole sense of me being a separate person fell away with it. And there was just awareness, you know, kind of knowing itself. So, so that was it. And then after about 45 minutes, thinking popped in again and said, you've got an appointment now. And I thought, oh God, I do. I've got to see the counsellor. Yeah. So I, I stood up and um, I, I saw some friends on the way and they were like, oh, are you okay? And I'm, you know, I don't know what I looked like, huh. but I was just like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I got into my counsellor's office and we sat down and she asked me a few questions and I couldn't talk. And I, I just remember thinking like, you know, you're me, I'm you, I'm the table. I just couldn't talk. And, and, and after a few moments, I just said something like, um, something's happened and it's still happening. That's all I could really yeah. convey. And so she just said, well, she, you know, she could tell something was going on. Uh, hopefully she didn't think I was on drugs. And she said, well, okay, you know, we'll just, we'll leave it and we'll just come next week. Uh, and then I got on the bus and on the bus on the way home, um, everything just kind of fell back into the normal rhythm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was me mm-hmm. on the bus. But in a way, something had dropped off. You know, the sense of me being a separate thing from everything else ha- has, n- has not re- reoccurred, mm-hmm. you know. And even... Even the sense of me, Mike, a person with my stuff, is still part of that seamless whole. You know, so so that was that was a long time ago. That was like ten years ago almost. It, it's interesting to me that this experience arose after years of non-dual seeking, um, and that leading to a point of increasing frustration and even depression. And then, when you throw a few weeks, I don't know how long of counselling into months, the mix, a few, few months of counselling, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the non-dual opens up, and it seems yes. to you could draw from that it suggests that something unresolved in the psyche in the mind can block yes fully going into this. That's it. That's 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 my conclusion. And I remember hearing or reading since anyway. Um, before you lose your ego, your your separate self, your sense of being a separate person, a real separate person, um, you need to have a healthy ego. Now, I don't think I had a particularly healthy... It was okay, but it wasn't as healthy as it could be, especially as I did have unresolved stuff, you know. And that was from quite a young age, like nine or ten. So no matter what I was doing... And there was a few times in India, you know, uh, where this stuff was kind of making itself known. You know, I remember I was on a bus once in, in Ladakh, and uh, opposite us on the bus was a Ladakhi family and the, the dad had a baby daughter on his lap. And from nowhere, just watching the way he adjusted the blanket on the baby, I was, I, I, I broke down into tears, you know. Um, I feel emotional now even talking about it. It was so strong. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had to hide myself away on the bus because it was a minibus, mm-hmm. you know, all kind of sitting mm-hmm. together, you know. And I was having a br- an emotional breakdown because of he he just adjusted the blanket for the baby, the the, the tenderness was so. I just so that's related to all my stuff that was to do with my parents and myself and I mean it wasn't even that bad but you know I'm mm, a sensitive sure, I've, sure. I've always been a sensitive person, so that stuff was beginning to come out through the cracks anyway. Um, but you're right, and and I think through the counselling, I, I I had a more holistic sense of myself. Yeah, there was an integration of bits that were fragmented. Yeah, I think it's true in spiritual traditions the world over, east and west. There is this sense of a need to integrate one's individualised self mm. in the on the pathway towards realising that self is ultimately an illusion. Yes, and what I was trying to do was was I guess bypass it. Now, at the same time, I'm reading about spiritual bypassing going, yeah, you know, spiritual bypassing, you know. But I think um, that I think that's another strand that kind of competes with that, that 
maybe more in the Eastern traditions, the idea of like bypassing the personal self, that it's an illusion mm. uh, to get away from. Now, I don't know if there's a long tradition of that in the East or if it's something that, you know, we've pulled in and selected for, yes. say, because we wanted to bypass the personal yes. self. There's yes. a discomfort with the self. You don't read a lot about emotion in, uh, you know, from what I've come across in the Zen very little to say on emotion mm. unless they're talking about it in a different way in a symbolic way or you know um exactly i i i haven't found how to deal with emotions in in with shankara or it's just kind of treated as as phenomena just witness it um which which works it works yeah. to a degree but um it, that's just one way and for me it didn't seem to work um it needed to come out and be felt and I lacked a method to allow that to happen, um, which is what I got from the counselling, which was only talking about it mm. and being encouraged to talk about it. Um, I suppose you have confession in the Western tradition. Yeah, and I think, I don't know what they were that. doing, but I think even going back to like the ancient world of the the Greek mystery schools had these different levels of initiation. So there was the, the, the psychical level of initiation of realizing that you're a soul and not the body and then resolving issues in the soul and becoming a good person and then yes. the the numer initiation of realizing well you're not the soul either you're the transcendent consciousness but um the importance of of both of those um yeah and i i, I wonder about this of some of the um the the roles in eastern spirituality and martial arts and this sense of detachment and distance the teacher takes on like the zen master mm. or the the, the martial arts sensei um, in a sense of not wanting to get involved in personal relationships because, or not want to be personal with people because that um, glorifies or brings into the relationship a personal nature where the aim of the relationship is to transcend the personal. Okay, is that a sort of valid teaching tool or is it a way of covering a kind of relational and personal awkwardness? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and what we're talking about is freedom. You know, at the end of the day, freedom. Now, I don't know what freedom is. It's. I don't think it's something that we, the whole world and all the traditions can tick a box and say, we all agree that this is freedom. We've all got this diff many different ways to experience freedom. Yet freedom is a vast spectrum, you know. Um, so is it that detached? Uh, and I've, I've met teachers like that. There's no one there. Um so okay, Tony Parsons. There's no one there. You could do. You could talk to him. There's no one. There's no one there. But I'm, but at least he's joking and talking. And mm. the, the 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 paradox is there's no one there. But he's a full person. That was actually my the insight I had at the time was, oh great, now I'm fully allowed to be Mike again, because there's no one here. Yeah. There's no actual person that needs to be fixed behind my personality or character. There's just life's created me, awareness, the universe created me, just like you and everyone else. Wow, that's beautiful. It should be celebrated. We should, we should, you know, come to rest in that and, and enjoy that. It's we're not um, mistakes, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was this kind of person. There is still a personal freedom. Uh, I don't feel like I need to pretend that I'm no one. I know there's no one behind this, but still, I am. I am this. I'm. I am what I am. But I've met other teachers who were this kind of. Uh, what, what would you call it? A completely depersonalized mm. no one. Mm -hmm. So um, John Deruta, I went to see once, and and so he just sat on the stage for I think three hours, staring, completely no one there. People, his uh, some of his disciples, I think, were coming down towards the stage, grabbing at his feet, crying, sobbing, saying, mm. "Why won't you help me?" And he just sat like a statue for three hours uh, and that, that's what he did that was it and then we all went the second we left he happened to come out the side doors next to me and he was laughing and joking with his friends and I thought well, what what's what, what's going on there you know is that a show was that for us is, I, I, I mean I don't get it but um, it's a, it's an interesting area you know and I think initially we are drawn to the spiritual because it promises ultimately the transcendent. Mm. And that just sounds like, let's just do that then. If we can suddenly be impersonal and transcendent, um, let's just leap to that because this isn't, 
this isn't so much fun. Absolutely, yeah. So let's just do that then. Well, you can't just do that. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe you can. But in my experience, I couldn't just do that. And it was hell trying to get there until I, I'd had enough of hell. And I thought, let's just... Let's just try the middle way. Let's just try some 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 personal support, mm, mm. and you know, lo and behold, that seemed to be the the shift that was required to 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 integrate myself in order for the thing to collapse. You know, so build it up so it can actually drop away. Um, yeah, and since then, you know. Since then, it's actually, it's developed and it develops and it develops. There's different kind of, looking back so far, there's been phases of that development. Mm -hmm. So in a way, nothing happens, yes. But um, also, yes, things happen. And I sometimes think of, of people and myself as a younger person, so keen on the direct path and the non-dual and sudden enlightenment. And just thinking, well, it's all now. It's all now, so I should be able to get it now. If it's if it's not, if it's all now and I can't get it, why can't I get it? Yeah, it's all now. So that, it's true, it's all now. But paradoxically, you've got your whole life to realise that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that now will take care of you, will nurture you, will shake you, will soothe you. You can kind of just relax. It's not like it's up to you to realise it's now. You know, it, you've got your whole you've got your whole life to to work that out, and then you'll realise, oh yeah, it was only now. But but I had that kind of. Uh, impatience to try and get it, and and that was what was that that produced a, a, an incredible amount of suffering. But the other side of that was it kind of spurred me on through hell to get yeah. there. Yeah. So, so post um, these, I was, I was still you know, two big experiences. One with this integration of the shadow and the realization of the, the general importance of integrating the personal self and then this much more kind of classical non-dual experience in quite um quite a close time frame um and that's you see that's a good few years ago now yeah what um subsequent to that and, and up until today what what shape does your practice take like is it necessary to practice in the same way because you're not trying to attain something in the same way maybe so what does it look like post an experience like that Okay, oh God, good question. Um, it's interesting, it's interesting because what, with, with hindsight, what, what happened was, <clears throat> so after that experience, um, there was a sense that I didn't need to do anything anymore. There was definitely that sense that, you know, this is it and I don't have to do anything. There's nothing I need to do. I wasn't, the, the search totally fell away. It was re resolved. Um my only real instinct was to share that was my my kind of instinct was to share and talk about it which i didn't do uh tony parsons told me not to <laughs> but i think he I think he's right i mean obviously i've you know talk i do talk about this now but at the time um i would have probably been locked up um but yeah there was a sense i didn't need to do anything so i i didn't practice anymore i didn't do anything i would just kind of I don't know what, just be, just be. And I, I, two things would happen. One was that I would just, I would sit, I'd just, you know, sit somewhere doing whatever I was doing without any thoughts, just completely absorbed in my surroundings, just completely at peace with, with everything. And I, I, I used to experience what I called, because I had to come up with a name for it, because I didn't know what to call it. So I called it heavy beauty. Um, and it was just kind of how it sounds. It was a very emotional sense of how beautiful everything was. So I'd be crying, well, not necessarily crying, but certainly weeping. I remember having my coffee. This is when I used to live in Bristol. I'd be having my coffee before I went to work. Just the steam coming out of it, just the people walking past, I'd just be, I'd be welling up. Um, and then especially seeing people in their day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. walking around and having that sense almost that, you're so much more than what you take yourself to be. And and it's so, you know. So so it was all, there was all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I remember going to work one day and for whatever reason, suddenly there was some grumpiness, there was some agitation, something that kind of hadn't been there for a while since that experience. 
Uh, I guess I'd been kind of blissed out, to be honest. Mm. Then there was something that came up again. And I got to work and I was like, oh, have I lost it then? Have I have I lost non-duality? Have I lost um, something? Is the separate self back? Um, and then I, I kind of realised, oh, it's this too. You know, everything's in it. Everything's included in it. It is everything. So I, I realised, oh, it's it's grumpiness too. It's... So that was nice because if I'd have gone the other way and said, oh God, I've lost it now. Yeah. I've snapped back. Then, you know, well, that would have been a mistake. Um, And I would have kind of been in for another 10 years worth of seeking. Mm. So it was, it was kind of acknowledgement that it wasn't a certain state of mind. You know, it was, it was being me. It was being a human being. Um, And so continuing from that, Shortly after, I noticed that um, old habits started to come up again. You know, old kind of self-habits. So yes, there was no self, but there's still me doing things that aren't particularly positive or, or you know, useful. Um, and thinking, well, okay, what, so what do I do then? If there's no one doing it, do I not do anything to them? Do I let them express because they no one owns them? And I kind of did that for a while. And then I realised that didn't seem right. So basically the evolution of, of the practice is that, yes, there's no one there, but there's also someone here. Yeah. <laughs> and that someone here is, is, is equally responsible for the, the moods and situations mm. and things mm. that I do. Mm. I suppose the two experiences you have are almost a contradiction of each other or bring up that, po- like that paradox. Yeah. Um, because on the latter of the two is... Um, this ex- takes you more into that almost passive everything's beautiful everything's wonderful as it is place um with the non-dual experience and then the form of the shadow emerging is a more of an integration of anger and a dissatisfaction and when things knock you then you should say something and and, and these two things uh are... that's true that is true but to be honest to be honest the sense of not being oh, i don't know how you put it but the sense of 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 <clears throat> there being no one here in a fundamental sense, I don't really ever feel like I need to express anger or... Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I can, but I, I do feel like a kind of long way from that, sure. in a sense. I do... I, there is... There is... I'd be lying if I didn't say there was a detachment. Um. Yeah. But also, I mean, everything else is allowed to be here. And I mean, I might get angry. I might... Who knows what? But there is a kind of settling back from it. I don't feel like... I don't think I ever really felt like a person. And this is the thing now. What does a person feel like? You know, I sometimes think, oh, I kind of do have a... I do remember what it was like when I was me and life seemed real. Yeah. But I don't actually know what that means. Life, what is it? You can't grab it. You can't get hold of it. You can't pause it. Every moment just flashes by like what what are we talking about when we say life you know it was never anything so um and that's kind of that's how my the the ins so two things have developed one is insight and one is any kind of practice that i do so the insights just seem to come every few years they and they've kind of been deepening uh or showing me another aspect Mm -hmm. to uh to this um, which is interesting, and I kind of expect that just to keep happening until the day I drop dead. You know, um, that it. I remember thinking at the time it's like a diamond, and you can kind of go, "Oh yeah, I've seen the diamond." Yeah. But of course, a diamond has hundreds of facets, so it, it can turn. And I'm still, I'm still surprised by <laughs> the facet that can reveal itself. Um, but the main one was that time started to eat itself up. You were speaking about lady before about time. Um, yeah, initially there was the realization that there's just this, but s- somehow that's deepened. Somehow that's deepened, and now it seems to me almost like I don't even know if this moment we're experiencing right now is literally the only thing the universe has ever done mm-hmm. and will ever do, because I've got no comparison. I can't measure it with a past because I can't find one. 
I can remember it, but that's happening right now. Yeah, sure. So it's the sense that uh, this flash contains even the story that something's yeah. come before yeah. it. Now I can't know. I can't know if that's how things are or not. But that's the sense I get now. Is that there's this just kind of empty flash that's so full because it's full of human beings experiencing themselves and and, and living their lives. But it's also just like a dreamlike flash that maybe. Maybe the only thing we've ever experienced, you know, maybe there wasn't a build-up of billions of years of moments. Maybe this this flash is it, but within the flash is the idea that my name's Mike and I've just come to your house and I did that two hours ago. How do we know that's not also within that flash? Yeah. Um. So again, within that is is the kind of feeling that yes, there is nothing to do. There is nowhere to get to. You can't get anywhere. <laughs> it's just this. And this is completely intangible, empty, but but so full of stuff, so full of meaning and beauty and and everything else in it, you know. Um, and in terms of practice, <clears throat> especially because I now teach mindfulness, I mean, to be honest, I don't really know what kind of mindfulness I teach. I mean, you know the way I teach it is very much influenced by my interest in non-duality. Yeah. I mean, I, I would rarely speak about it in that way, but it's infused to an extent where we're not trying to get somewhere. We're not sure. trying to yeah. get, you know, develop some stuff in the future and get to some goals. It's very much about stopping and resting with your, your current experience, coming home to that. Um, but for myself, uh, my interests are in clearer ways of experiencing this different angles different facets and how to relate relate that to other people so in the last couple of years what i've become interested in is developing an awareness of the moment to moment nature of experience the flash mm-hmm. um as it happens so we talk about a moment and a moment seems pretty fleeting anyway, a moment. But it's still got a kind of substantiality to it, a moment. I'll see you in a few moments. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's a few beats of time there. Uh, when actually a moment is just a series of flashing perceptions, discrete, you know, you know, the eye, the ear, the you know, your, your skin, a memory that seems to tie it all together as a moment. When actually you can break that down into split-second fleeting perceptions um, that are completely empty. Yeah, you know, a perception is empty; it's intangible. So, being more aware of that level—that's kind of something I do in my practice—is kind of see if I could tune into that moment-to-moment fleeting perceptual level. Uh, and then, what's the other thing? Oh, yeah, the other thing um, is. Again, just back to the old um, self-inquiry, something I've always loved. Uh, and just throwing those questions back. Uh, something Ramon Maharshi uh, and, and Robert Adams. Robert Adams? Yeah. I think it's Robert Adams. Um, you know, encourage as a kind of cleaning up process. You know, don't just rely on the idea that you're now awakened or, or free or whatever. And I, I think that's pretty good advice you know um so yeah so that encourages me to kind of keep keep exploring i wouldn't say keep seeking because it's all here but this is this is infinite mm-hmm. you know so we can explore this sure yeah so there's that sense of exploring it there's a difference between seeking and exploring yeah yeah like the latter sounds like it's coming from a place of wholeness already that's interested to know more and yes that's yeah. it there's something that implies deficiency about seeking. Yeah, yeah. Seeking is you haven't got it. Exploring is it's here. Let's let's stay interested in it. So, and of course, part of that is to do with uh, well, this sense of heavy beauty or compassion, where where whatever I can learn or discover or or find useful, I can potentially share it with another person. So it has a resonance. It mm-hmm. has a ripple effect. Um came across a quote the other day that you might know it even and I'd never come across it it's something like you're not born for yourself you're born for the world and I just think wow 
that's that's great that that kind of sums up uh it just sums it up you know you're there to kind of pour yourself back into the well the well-being the welfare of everybody supporting people where wherever they are however you can um uh, so, I mean, I don't know if that takes us back to the Mindful Men. It's just a Facebook page at the moment, as I say. Well, it's, uh, that, I suppose it takes us to like the... Um, it just reminds me of the completion of the the, the, the journey of the ox herder in Zen, of, of the symbolic kind of story of Zen, of going through this personal quest and then wanting to bring it to the world. Yes, you end up back way. in the marketplace. Yeah. Not, not stuck in a cave. Uh, angry when people come up to the cave to ask you a question. Yeah. You know... Um, I always that just reminds me of a story. Again, you might know it. Um, it's the guy who uh, is sitting in the cave. He's he's becoming a saint, a sage. Um, his practice is perfect. You know, he's an advanced adept. And one day, his guru comes to visit and asks him about his practice. And the guy says, "Yeah, I mean, I'm just completely. I'm there. There's there's no issue. There's no problem. I'm completely at ease." And so the guru says, well, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. Grabs him by the scruff of the neck, <laughs> drags him down the mountain, back into the village, through the marketplace. I mean, this guy spent years in isolation, so now he's been dragged through the mud of the, and the bustle and the chaos uh, of, the, uh, of the marketplace with all the smells and the sights and the, the ridicule, maybe some people throwing at him as well. You know, this guy getting dragged through the marketplace and then the guru dumps him in the middle of the market in a dung heap uh, and by this time the guy's completely stressed out he's lost it he's confused he mm. doesn't know where he is you know he's overwhelmed his senses and the guru just shouts at him what's changed and what hasn't mm. and I just love that you know the idea that this is actually something ordinary this is something that that is in every experience it's in every state of mind it's not in some special state, which is why, you know, Tom and I called the, our, our podcast site Being Ordinary yeah, or Ordinary Being. You know, it's not some kind of uh, extraordinary. I mean, mm. yes, it, OK, yes, it is extraordinary, but it's 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 here in all moments. Ryokan <clears throat> in his poem says, you know, just this from the beginning of time till now, just this, just this. You know, so yeah. Great, thank you, Michael. I don't know how that leads us back to the the mindful men, but it's a project people should check out. I'll put some details in below uh, wherever we post this. Yes, please. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is uh, it's been a fascinating run through of your journey this morning. Thank, well, it's been it's been great to chat to you. Uh, I've appreciated the, you know the questions, the interest, and just to bounce it off you as well. Yeah, that's been yeah, interesting. Great. No, it's, for me. It's, um, it's great when you flick a microphone on. You've suddenly got this excuse to sit and <laughs> interrogate someone in a way you never would be able to normally. So, uh, you know, and I hope people find it useful. You know, yeah, that's again. Yeah. I hope people there's some use in it somewhere. Um, yeah. Okay, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do more stuff on different topics in the future. Yeah, so yeah. until then, Mike. Thanks very much. Thanks, Richard. Yeah.